Thank you for returning for another time of examining privilege. Please consider heading on over to Patreon and showing your support by sharing this podcast or the Patreon page with your friends on social media. You might be surprised how many folks out there are hungry for exactly the kind of conversation we are having right here. I was afraid of you. That's where our last episode ended. A white student telling Mark, I was afraid of you, and that's why I didn't come to you. A request from this professor, a request for vulnerability that elicited the response, I was afraid of you. Welcome to episode six. Let's do our best Patrick Stewart and engage. And to be kind of the academician um, that has been within the academy that white men have kind of set up. You know? Yeah. Um, so no, I... you're not taking serious. You know, for a position, uh, I was it was a position I, for which I applied, and and um, one of the academies, but that uh, I never heard from whom I never heard back, and I finally got in touch with the committee members. I said, "What happened?" And they said, "Well, they thought that I wasn't serious by the application because I didn't put my um, CV in there, and they thought that maybe I, that I knew them, and uh, that I thought I was going to get by because of our personal relationship." And I never get a chance to tell them, you know, uh, well, that time I was doing the application, I was making my, making my mom's breakfast at the same time, yeah. trying to keep her salt, <laughs> you know. Yes. No, you can't have any salt, <laughs> you know. Oh. And, uh, you know, I actually, it's kind of thinking about the type of, of, of a student who, with whom I'm close is now doing graduate studies and um, taking care of his kids. And he's been talking about the challenges of trying to write a paper and his little two and five year old child knows to get his attention. She screams, <laughs> <laughs> and he can't stay on the phone, and we can't talk. He's like, I, I, I got to go. You know, she knows that she keeps screaming. She's gonna get her dad's attention. You yep. know, <laughs> she's like, I'm tearing down this white male right here. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you are listen to me right now. <laughs> Well, that's, uh, so I mean, uh, uh, a side note: this this was exactly the conversation we were having when you when you mentioned this book, um, uh. and I didn't get it until I started reading it and really heard um, the the authors struggle with that, and that there weren't more men who who even understood the things that you just said. Like I I had to try to do something professional while making breakfast for my mom and keeping her from throwing salt in it. Like, like <laughs> this is just not a reality. And, 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 and the worst part is today there, I mean, statistically we know that there are more men doing this work, but it's still very much a statistical anomaly, but more importantly, and this is the part where I, I just scream inside internally. We aren't talking about it. We don't talk about it. I remember seeing a, <laughs> a fucking Tide commercial a couple of, couple of years ago that had a man doing the laundry and breaking down and crying and finding it on YouTubing, YouTube and uh, like up liking it and like just couldn't I had to watch it again because uh. it had a man doing what I do the way I do it be, not because he's doing his wife a favor or any of that bullshit but because it's mm-hmm. just what he does to care for his family and that's mm-hmm. Uh, 
we don't talk about that. And that, I mean, it, <clears throat> there, there is definitely part of killing the great white male that is about making more space at the table for women, making more space at the table for ethnic, um, uh, uh, lively ethnic, ethnic realities and cultures. Um, and for raising the question of, you know, is able, you know, how do we deal with ableism? All of that stuff, like, Killing the great white male, uh, to say nothing, of course, of the, the issue of homophobia and, and like how much killing the great white male is needed to, to overcome that issue. But it, this is, I mean, bluntly, it's, it's for me, too, because I know mm-hmm. that I need to see other men doing this shit. I know that I need to hear from other men what it's like to be the, the person that changes the poopy diaper. Um, so... Yeah, I'm sorry. No, go. You you were saying something. I wonder if it has uh, something to do with even some of the. You no, know, I'm, I'm saying so much like wait, may I, the paradigm shifts or some of the changes uh, in in theory. I, I've often asked the question. It's like I don't hear discussions, uh, at least when I was teaching in the theological community, or or even now in um, where I'm now. I don't hear this discussion about feminism. As strong as I did in the 1980s, yeah. um, you know there were there are certain things, particularly I know in grad school as a male, that you just didn't do. You know, you, you didn't walk by the door if you, the women's feminist group was meeting, and you did not open their door if you were a male. You yep. know, made a mistake. I was looking for my morning class at Harvard, and I and I saw. People sitting in the room, I opened the door and those eyes looked at me as like, oh, I'm in the wrong place. You know, <laughs> there, was, there was really about, something about protecting women's space. Um, the, uh, uh, the, the, the issue of writing with male pronouns. Um, I mean, well, there were back, back then, if you wrote a male pronoun, uh, the, your, your instructor, uh, he had a woman, woman professor, um, would take off points for that. Uh, and uh, you, it was arbitrary if they would take one point off or three or four points off. So you learn how to write inclusively. <laughs> we were dedicated inclusive language because we wanted a better grade. You know, yep. there's, there's structured it. There was, uh, you did not use the word girl, you know, um, there was the living every, every little girl is a woman, similar to every young Black male is not a boy; he's a man. You know, um, to res- respect that. Right. And so, when I start undergrad students, or or you talk to each other about this girl did this and that, I was kind of like, "What? You know, um, where has the change been? You know, uh, what is what's happened to what's happened to the critique?" Yeah. Um, same response. Some of it is the 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 growth in, in wave uh, three. Uh, feminism where um, uh, well the, within the younger school began to ch- challenge the older uh, wave two of the uh, sort of national organization of women that instead of just organizing a national organization and raising funds they felt the movement should be about every woman having her own voice mm. and what does that mean for um, for uh, women of color or yep. for uh young women who use the term girl um, uh, are for uh, uh, that, that the voice is broader and got to deal with the messiness of it. That, uh, what does that say for um, Arlie Hawk 
she talks about her in, in the book about some of the feminists you know she had who were critiquing her because she she's a mother yep yes uh, and you know are our mothers involved do they have their own voice or sex industry workers uh, yeah. who are, are are making money um uh, you know, so 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 feminism, or and third world world women who yes. see things that the, the wave three feminism just took a big hold. This is where and women and was women as kind of African American women who responded to the whole feminist movement. And in terms of what they said, a pretty uh, bit uh, as uh, I'm getting her name, uh, Audre Lorde. You know, you, you, when she critiqued uh, the white women and white women and feminism by saying, you know, you can't dismantle the master's house using the master's tools yes that's exactly uh, what i just heard like that when you take points off for that well you're using the mechanisms of patriarchy to try to deal with this issue and it 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 didn't work i mean hochschild calls it the the stalled revolution right like right in in, in the second shift in the book we're reading like the stalled revolution right and I got to be careful in that critique not to, I mean, because I guess I'm saying that, that not to be careful to let men and patriarchy off the hook. You yeah. Know? yeah. Um, that, uh, that made, I think, some, uh, because I, I remember, particularly in the late 80s, the, um, uh, you see, there was, it, it was a time of the men's movement. Men were, we were talking about, um, sensitive men reclaiming the iron you know uh reclaiming masculinity some were gonna con some were perpetuating the traditional dominant side of men by saying you know, feminism has made men you know, these demasculated men yeah. and, and take, you know taking away our iron john sense there were you know groups that i was going to that men wanted to howl in the woods and you know have emotion and i think i went on a retreat in fact in michigan out into the nature it was i was only black one of those white men and they were howling and stuff and i'm just like i got enough emotion okay mm. <laughs> I, wanna, I want you all to talk about power <laughs> yes you know, I, i've got feeling and everything is being black and gay i got rhythm <laughs> and and I, yep. i'm in touch with that you know well, how do you know about the power and structures? Anyway, but, yeah, uh, it was a detour. But um, but the, the the movement and that at that time that that were particularly, I think, uh, began to compromise um, or, or or silence some of us who were trying to uh, bring this intersection of multiculturalism that addressed um, sexism, uh, racism, uh, all the other isms. Of, Homophobia and heterosexism, class, etc., uh, which which is really debunking uh, a great white male. Yeah. Um, the response from what we call sort of the angry white men at that time in the late eighties would be in classes. By doing this, you're trying to be politically correct. Oh God, We're, this is the same damn argument now. Right, right. What we. But, it, but, it, but the difference the different was it was like we didn't see it as a movement at the time. And I've I, I seen over, over time when, when what was just a little phrase to silence, oh, well, if, I, if you, you're being politically correct by saying this, but we would challenge to keep speaking. But that 
I don't know if it was funded. I say more maybe as a cultural movement where that became such a, an idea, a, a constructed idea. Maybe that's the side of it that that, that structured um, a structured response. So that in the 1980s, late 80s, we were talking about this intersexuality and deconstruction. I mean, a lot of these books that we were talking about, hooks, folk um, shows, you know, got the formation, you know, in, yep. in the 80s. Uh, and then I start teaching in the 2000s. I first, my first class, I taught at UC Berkeley, you know, home of free speech. Right. I'm raising the question of um, of, of of racism, deconstructing whiteness, or um, and ask the women students why aren't they speaking up when uh, challenging men who are you know saying things that are sexist and use the term girl. And I just ask them students privately, you know. I said, this is the home of free speech, and you're not being free in your speech. And when the students who were more radical thinking came to me and said, we would be, but we don't want to appear politically correct, I threw my hands up in the air and said, oh, my God, the movement worked. Yep. You know, um, yep. Uh, Cultural and, enforcement uh, still works. You've got the master's tools, you yep. know, uh, uh, and, and they've silenced us in that yeah. respect. Know, um, certain things you can say and can't say. Uh, 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 same thing around, you know, difficulties in talking about white privilege in class. I have, you know, students of color. Class might be majority students of color when whiteness comes up, and, we'll, and one white student can shut them all down just by saying they're offended because we yeah. got to take care of that one one student um, rather than challenge. And, and it is a challenge to be able to sit in that space and look at that student and go, yeah, this is going to hurt. So buckle up. Mm-hmm. Like, and I mean, I, I remember that for me, that was, um, that was clinical pastoral education. That was a summer experience mm-hmm. of 2000, summer of 2005. And it, it broke me. Like I, up to that point, I had refused to claim the um, the term white for myself. I still hate it, uh, and, but I, I understand a lot more about why I hate it. And it's actually absolutely in line with the critiques of whiteness, that it's really just this fucking void. Um, so anyway, it, uh, and that was that was one of those moments of somebody looking at me. But I mean, they had everything over me in that situation. Um, uh-huh. I had to finish that program in order to finish my Masters of Divinity and in order to become a minister. Um, but somewhere in there, there was also, there was not only a choice on my part, there was a choice on my, my uh, the instructor in that setting that he was going to engage with me. And at some point, there was buy-in on my part that I had something to gain by doing it. I still don't understand what the hell happened, but I began to understand that whiteness was a projected identity, that mm. it is it is a bullshit identity. Um, mm. uh, and I, I mean, that's part of what I'm, uh, when I say killing the great white male, it's it's because it's not actually a thing. It's it's a myth. It's a it's this mold that we're like crammed into and parts of us are cut away from to in order to fit into. And I mean, it, it you mentioned having, you know, the bilingual aspect of being um, African and American, right? Uh, 
mm. that there's an element of bilingualism there. And that um, mm. part of the truth that that stuff speaks to me is is my reality of having known the whole time that I couldn't fit that fucking mold, that I was never man enough. And I knew that the flan that we had to have at Thanksgiving at my grandpa's house was never white enough because none of the kids at school knew what the hell that was. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that, that, that that's the lie of whiteness, that it is a mm-hmm. void. It is actually an absence of culture. Um, mm-hmm. And that... I don't even remember how the hell we got there, but it pinged for me. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. We, uh, yeah, I guess I just push a little more on that. Would you say, this is what I do with my wife since to give me that response about um, the void, about invisibility, they didn't seen it. It's, again, going back to, well, let's see how this gets constructed because yep. it has so much. Um, and to look at whiteness not as a... Um, uh, and a person, whiteness as a concept, an idea. Yeah. And, is, um, and I would say maleness. Been, I mean, I think that's one of the things yeah. from the second shift is that whole notion that men can just ignore this stuff. Well, men will just outsource the housework. And you know yeah. what? As a homemaker, I've done that. When I started my business, I got to hire somebody to clean the house. Right. Even though I'm still the homemaker, right? Like that, that... There's very much that sense. So anyway, sorry. I, I think it operates the w- the same way in both of them. Is what I'm saying. No, no, no. You're you're, you're right because what Hawkshaw does do there is to, looks at the uh, both um, construction through gender ideology and the gender strategy and how yep. um, ideology, which emerges from uh, from the meanings we create, the values and the ethics that we put around the ideas about um, gender, maleness, and um, uh, femaleness or transgenderness or cisgender, you know, all these ideas are connected with meaning, and these meanings are hold in, in place a social system. Um, we could call it uh, one side of it is really strong capitalism yep. or social system. It holds that together. We need these ideas to 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 not disrupt things, you know, just and to keep people sort of in their positions and roles. Uh, and um, and that from that ideology, it creates our gender strategies. And so, when she talks about uh, the um, traditional household, um, where you know uh, men and, and women, the couples that she interviews rather uh, uh, hold in place uh, the traditional notions of the uh, woman who's housemaker and male men who work, uh, the transitional household that a little egalitarian where they share responsibilities and they hold them traditional uh, and the um, uh, the tra- uh, get, get these three <laughs> transitional and egalitarian where they have e- equal roles um, this but it's based upon a construction of ideas and 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 a structure that perpetu- that reproduces ideas and the ideas that hold together the structure yeah and and and, and that's kind of Going back to what I was saying about this the whiteness, so what I try to get my students to do is to instead of I mean the, the, the in, instead of saying it's a void and we can't that makes the possibility that we can't talk about it. If yep. it's a void, it plays in of privilege um, because if we don't talk about it, you know, it, you can't be deconstructed. 
And and yes. so that's why it's taboo to talk about race or, or sexism or so, because the system says don't critique it. <laughs> yep. You're not supposed to. Yeah. So, so as I say to my students a lot of times, um, you know, we're in a, it took years to put this thing together. It's going to take years to take the tear apart. And you and I are not responsible for for it coming together, but we are responsible for, for redefining it. You can do this. Yeah. And um, then I get my get my wife students to go back to say, how to, let's, let's go on a journey, interview your family members of how your whiteness was constructed. Yeah. You were the, yes. We're not all white. Yes. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> Whether that was Italian um, or Irish or German. Uh, well, and, and, uh, and as you mentioned, the second you add classism into this, like that was part of my objection to being called white or part of the reason I rejected the notion of my own privilege for years was because my, my family didn't have a lot sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. And so the notion that I had privilege when I was a public school kid who had to go like was always going to be on scholarship, even if he went to a public university, um, a child of teachers, public school teachers, like it just, it was, it was foreign to me that I had privilege. The second you bring class into that, it, it creates all sorts of crazy messes too. Privilege. It's not something we always know we have. It's not something we signed up for. We didn't get in the line and say, yes, I would like some privilege, please. It just happens. And it's not our fault in one sense. And yet, in many other senses, it doesn't just happen. And allowing the system that privileges the great white male, who is, by the way, this is the first time we're going to talk about this, the, the great white male is this this phrase I keep saying as though everyone knows what it means. And I got to record an episode just on that and talk about it. But it goes without saying, of course, that the great white male is cisgendered, heteronormed, middle-class, able-bodied, Christian, and, and we can go on and on because that's how this kind of coded language works. And the, the fact that we don't even have to say white male, we just see this person and all of these things fall into line. That's the way this works. And that's the challenge because allowing that system to continue is a choice that we can make. We didn't make this system, but we can burn it down. Thanks for tuning in today. Big question of the day, who are you going to share this with? Go do it. Look forward to seeing you on Monday for Episode 7.